Hello, everybody out there in podcast listening land. Welcome to People Are Wild, the podcast that I keep describing to people who ask me to describe my podcast as not only medutainment, but medical paella. It's a bit like a little bit of this, a little bit of that comes together and makes something delightful, imaginative, unique, and hopefully palatable to some sort of senses, I think. Now, my name is Kim, and I'm your friendly neighborhood travel ER nurse of a host. Wait, no, that's not what I usually say. I think I'd go, I'm your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host. It's been a while since I've done this. Can you tell? And also, can you tell I don't have a musical intro? I don't have a lead in anymore. It's like it's a brand new podcast, right? Well, actually, that's not the real story. The real story is that while I was on my little summer hiatus, I lost all of my audio, all of it, just gone. My computer just decided we don't need that anymore. Don't know her. Don't know audio anymore. Did a Mariah Carey on me. But I'm working with what I got and I am slowly but surely hoping to rectify that situation. Speaking of summer break, if you'll notice, I did go on a summer hiatus for the past three months and I just want to express my gratitude and thanks for everybody who has stuck it out, who has listened to the old episodes, who really has enjoyed it and is still sticking with this even through my summer breaks. I was able to recharge. I had a great assignment that allowed me to experience new things. I went fly fishing and whitewater rafting for the first time. It was awesome. Oh, and I saw a grizzly bear out in the wild. So, you know, that was amazing? Question mark? No, it was actually very majestic. And if I'm behind this mic, obviously I I did okay with making sure to respect the space of wildlife. If that's one thing I learned over the summer, considering where I was location-wise, was always carry that bear spray no matter where you go. In fact, I actually have a different holster, I guess, for it now. It's actually more of a fanny pack. And if anybody knows anything about me, they know that I rock a fanny pack wherever I go, at work, outside of work, at festivals, and now on my hiking and any outdoor activity. Uh... I will be sporting that beautiful, beautiful bear spray holster. Now, another thing I should mention right now, especially with where I'm recording, is that I am in an Airbnb that really, really has a decor theme of PBR, as in Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's everywhere in this Airbnb, but it somehow really ties everything together. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's... It's interesting, but I mention it because there's a lot of motorcycles down the street where I'm recording, so I'm trying to record in the quietest area that I could find, but if you do hear that background motorcycle noise, I do apologize for that, and I will try and clean that up as best as I can. But on the day that I'm releasing this, it just so happens to be the first day of autumn or fall. Side note, do you call it autumn? Do you call it fall? Is it a regional thing? Somebody told me it's called a thotum since we had a hot girl summer. It's a thotum as in like T-H-O-T. I don't know. I can't keep up with kids these days. Anyways, is it fall or is it autumn? Is it 50 days of summer? No, it's 500. Was it 500 days of fall? Wait, what was that movie called? I don't remember it. I Somebody can tell me. Just yell at me on Twitter about whatever it's called. All I know is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt decided to dance around in a park And Zoe Deschanel existed. And that's that. Anyways, so it is the first day of fall on the release day for this episode. So it's as if I'm saying to you guys, new season, new podcast, who dis, 
I no, I'm not really saying that. It's still the same old stuff. But I'm coming back with new episodes, so I guess that's great. And in the southern hemisphere, it's probably already springtime or at least sliding into spring. So you also get that whole new season, new episodes, who dis? No, just kidding. Still the same old stuff. Hashtag medutainment. In the spirit of still being the same old stuff, stretching it out, getting back into the swing of things, it's time to channel that inner Donnie Osmond, and let's get down to business. So, I have lit my Gwen Stefani prayer candle and listened to her amazing song, Holla Back Girl, on a loop repeat for about an hour, because this case is bananas. B. A-N-A-N-A-S. So I'm ready, if you're ready, to talk about how people are wild. So when I first started this whole journey that is podcasting, I made a list of topics and cases I absolutely 100% needed to cover, wanted to cover, had to do. And what I'm going to be covering this week was in my top five. Probably my top three, honestly. So I am beaming. I am busting. I dare say that I am happier than little May is whenever Nicole from 90 Day Fiance lets her have some screen time. I just need, though, to give you guys this disclaimer. This is 100% real. It is not based on a true story. It is a freaking true story. And there is so much to process, but the best way to do it is to go back in time to May of 2008. spitting at me. She is very badly injured. I don't know what's going on. You're hurt. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. You're hurt. Calm down. Stay, stay, stay. Have they got a collar or something they can stick on her? Right, don't get going anywhere, okay? Just chill. Chill. Okay. Your it's okay, my love. Right. I'm trying to make sure you're okay. Right. Where's Paul? Oh, shit. Where's Paul? Right. Where's Paul? Stay. Oh. Oscar Tango 33. Oh. Stay. Stay there. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. All right. So that audio is a clip from the documentary called Madness in the Fast Lane. 
and I will make sure to link it in the show notes. And this is the first introduction to the topic, the case that I am going to be going over today, and that is the mysterious events that occurred in May of 2008 regarding Swedish twins Ursula and Sabina Eriksson. Now, that audio was taken from footage that was captured basically inadvertently for the UK show Motorway Cops. They had camera people working with them on that particular day, and little did they know that what they had just filmed and captured would morph into a rather unbelievable and confusing story that to this day still leaves more questions than answers. Sabina and Ursula Eriksson were born in Sweden on November 3rd, 1967. Now, this was at a time when Aretha Franklin was proclaiming and preaching about R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The twins did have older siblings, Bjorn and Mona, and the family themselves was really close-knit, it seemed as though. There was a relatively unremarkable upbringing for all the siblings. There were no reports of any criminal activities or really anything regarding the twins in their younger, more formative years that we can look at with hindsight being 2020, pinpoint and say, ah, yes, here's where something was starting to brew. So let's fast forward to the year 2000 and Y2K was seemingly a dud, but not really, because if you're always prepared for the grid to go down, you'll be ready when it happens regardless of the year. And even though that was a slight digression, I'm just saying, be prepared. Anyways, in the lives of the Ericsson sisters, things had changed rather drastically. Ursula had moved from Sweden and gone to live in the US, whereas Sabina also moved from Sweden and was now living in Ireland with her family unit, her partner, and their two children. Now, let me just take a step back, because throughout doing research on this episode, I started going down all these avenues and side quests about twins in general. And let me just say that Pearl Party consultants aren't the only people who get excited about twins, y'all. See, the research community loves studying twins. In fact, not too long ago, NASA published their major twin study that they had going on with the Kelly brothers. Now, these were two twin astronauts. Well, that makes sense. Two twin astronauts. Anyways, these were twin astronauts, twin brothers, who they studied regarding a myriad of things while one was in orbit in space and the other one, his brotherly counterpart, if you will, was observed and monitored on Earth. But it's not just the scientific community that is enamored by twins. I think that a lot of people are fascinated by twins in general. The shared mannerisms they have without conscious effort or thought, the seemingly secret language that only they understand, the whimsical hijinks they get into on a 90s sitcom, it can pique a lot of people's interests. I mean, come on, Coors Light made twins a major staple of their marketing campaigns back in the day. And if you don't remember that, be grateful. Ugh, and twins. Oh my gosh, I hate campaign. Anyways, so the more I started delving into this, the more my mind just got jumbled and blown and reassembled and then blown again. With that being said, let's go back to the scene that I'm trying to establish here. And the twins have been living their own lives separately in different countries. The two sisters would reconnect in Ireland when Ursula flew to see her sister Sabina and her family in mid-May of 2008. Now on Friday, May 16th, it is believed that the sisters boarded a ferry from Ireland to Liverpool. 
Now, this is where things are already going to start to get a little hazy and murky about this trip, as family members and friends of the twins have no idea why they would even be traveling to Liverpool, as neither had any friends or family in that area. Also of note, no one can pinpoint whether or not the twins did indeed take a ferry, as no eyewitnesses on that particular ferry have ever come forward to confirm that they actually saw the sisters. This is particularly interesting, as in some of the articles I read stated that this ferry is a particularly popular mode of transportation for people to get in between Ireland and Liverpool. It's relatively inexpensive, and it does the job. So that would mean that there would be a good number of people present, and that somebody should have been able to recount seeing twin sisters, right? And while there was never really a definitive confirmation that these sisters did indeed take that trip via ferry, in almost every article you'll find about this case, it's the accepted story that that's how they must have gotten to Liverpool. So the sisters arrive in Liverpool on Saturday morning, May 17th, and then they proceed to the St. Anne police station, as Sabina had concerns about her family back in Ireland, more specifically her children. And actually, I should take that back, because it seemed as though they didn't arrive just in a concerned, calm manner. They actually arrived to the station in a rather frenzied and hurried state, some even saying they were frantic, yelling. But it was here that they were reassured that the Liverpool law enforcement would indeed establish contact with the Dublin law enforcement. And in fact, they did just that. They were able to perform a wellness check on Sabina's family in Ireland, and it was discovered that all of her family members were safe and okay, but probably really confused by seeing law enforcement knocking at their door. It is worth mentioning that this case of the Erickson sisters has been covered by different podcasts and on different YouTube videos. One of the ones that does a really good job is Case File. And in the case file episode about these twins, it is mentioned that law enforcement was able to find out that Sabina and her partner had gotten into an argument the day before. But I couldn't really find anything else to back that up. And while there is a book written about this case, I wasn't able to actually get into that reading. So if that was in that book by David McCann, which we'll talk about later, then actually that would probably be in more articles, I would think. But Case file really does a good job with this subject matter, so I am inclined to believe that there is some validity to the fact that law enforcement did find out that maybe there was a disagreement, or at least there was something going on in the home environment uh, for Sabina that was a little bit out of the norm, it sounds like. But also of note, which is something I started to think about, was that I could never find any mention that Sabina's partner contacted anyone to see where the sisters had gone before law enforcement even knocked on that door. So, like I said before, I'm inclined to believe that there was something going on in Sabina's household that was a little bit off kilter if your partner, your significant other, just goes, disappears, doesn't tell you any sort of plan, doesn't disclose anything to you, and just leaves, and you don't do any follow-up, I I just, I'm, I'm kind of left with a little bit of that meme where that guy just has the question marks that are by his head. 
it's that meme with Nick Young and he's just like looking up and it's just all the question marks. That's me when I was thinking about this a little bit more thoroughly in my brain. That if somebody I knew, especially if it was my partner, my significant other, my boyfriend, my husband, whatever, if they just disappeared with their sister, didn't give me any phone number, didn't give me any plan, and I wake up the next morning, because maybe it sounds like the sisters left during the night, so maybe they didn't realize it till the next morning, and I'm waking up the next morning, and I can't find them, there's no written notes, there's confusion going on in my brain, I definitely would want to call everybody that I knew in my family and their family, our friends, see where they're at. And then law enforcement's knocking on your door and you're like, oh no, everyone's fine here. Like there had to be something else in play, right? You can't just play that off and be like, oh yeah, she disappeared. I don't know why. I don't know where she's going, but she's with her sister. It's fine. Also, no way of getting into contact with her. Have a nice day, officers. Click. Do doors click in Ireland? Maybe not. Are they Irish doors? They clack? Sorry. Sorry, if you're an Irish listener, I'm sorry. I've been listening to a lot of Hosier lately. It's not an excuse, but maybe that's an explanation. But going back to it, I mean, if somebody disappears in your life, your significant other, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, goes with their family member, doesn't leave you any plans, it sounds like, doesn't even leave a note. That's why you always leave a note. Doesn't give you any sort of footprints, points of contact. Wouldn't you be a little bit frantic? And then the law enforcement shows up at your door and you're like, oh no, everyone's good here. I know you guys just got called by my partner because she's concerned about me and the kids, but no, we're good. Wouldn't you ask about them? Like, oh my gosh, they're in Liverpool. Do you guys have a way of of me being able to contact them? Are they still there? Can I talk to them? What's going on? Are they safe? And it doesn't sound like that happened at all. So again, I think even though I couldn't find a lot of articles to say that there was something going on in Sabina's home life in Ireland, that behavior just doesn't quite check out if somebody goes suddenly on a trip with no explanation. And it sounds like with never having done that before. Anyways, we're going to move on from that. The household is fine, but again, it's just weird and I'm going to just let go. Come on, just let it go. If you're already getting frustrated, confused, or bewildered by this course of events going on, Let me just quote the awesome band BTO and say this, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ireland relayed back to law enforcement in Liverpool that Sabina's family was okay. And when officials went to tell the sisters, they couldn't. The sisters had left the station. And in doing so, they didn't leave behind any way of getting into contact with them or any sort of plans as to where they would be staying or what they would be doing. So these officers had no way of relaying any information to these sisters. The sisters themselves had walked on foot over to a station, a bus station, and were able to board a chartered bus that was going to London. Now, as far as it is known, neither sister had any family or friends in London, but then again, Maybe they were just doing some sightseeing. Maybe they were just being tourists. Who knows? I mean, it sounds like they had never necessarily been to London before, so maybe they were doing a sister's weekend. I don't know. But even if that was their intention, that was not what ultimately happened. In the continuing running theme of things being hazy, murky, confusing, bewildering, and frustrating, what is known is that the twins didn't make it to London on this bus, as they disembarked at an unscheduled stop at a service station. And depending on who you ask as to why 
these twins were left at the service station, you get two different stories. According to the bus driver, he kicked the sisters off the bus due to their bizarre and strange behavior. Now, as he recounts, the sisters were gripping their belongings and their bags tightly, refusing to let any of the staff inspect them. Just for context, this is May of 2008, almost three years after the London 2 bombings that had occurred in July of 2005. So out of the norm behavior, especially with regards to traveling, was definitely a cause for concern. Now, the manager at the service station observed these sisters continuing to clutch at their bags as they headed towards the back of the building. Concerned about what potentially could be in the bags, she called law enforcement, who responded and spoke with the twins. In the police report that followed this encounter, it was noted that the sisters said that they had asked to leave the bus themselves as they were feeling sick and unwell. After speaking with law enforcement, the sisters were let go with no further incident and no charges or any sort of detainment, as the police deemed that the two of them were no cause for concern, they were harmless. Now, with the events that transpired after this encounter, I can only imagine that the decision made to let the twins go probably still haunts those officers to this day. So the police have left at this point, And these twins are seemingly stuck at the service station. It's about 1 p.m. They don't know anyone in the area. So again, they start walking. And in fact, they are captured on closed circuit television, walking down the median of the busy M6 highway. Now, the M6 highway, for some of us who have never been across the pond, is one of the oldest, longest, and busiest highways, freeways, motorways, whatever you would like to call it, in the UK. And I think I read somewhere that it theoretically you can take it all the way up towards Scotland. So it's a pretty long stretch of interstate. Or is it? No, it's just motorway. Sorry, my my northern hemisphere American is showing, I guess. There is no pedestrian walkway on this median. And in fact, with these sisters walking on this median in this highway, basically, they were doing something that was both dangerous and illegal. Dangerous and illegal. Isn't that like the tagline for every Fast and the Furious movie? Also, I get the fast part because the cars and everything that they drive, but why are they so mad? Anyways, let's take ourselves back to that M6. And if you were to see someone walking on this highway median area, cars flying by them, and these little metal railings being the only barrier between these people... If you were to see that in real time, you might even consider calling the police, which is what a lot of motorists were doing upon witnessing the sisters making their way on foot on the busy highway. But also, again, they were captured on CCTV. They were actually monitored. There were cameras zooming in from the traffic controls, and they themselves in that traffic control office were calling law enforcement to make them aware of what was going on that they were witnessing on these cameras. And this is where we come in with the motorway cops footage. As these calls filtered into dispatch about these sisters that were walking in the median, a camera crew had been shadowing some of the officers for a good bit of time, capturing footage of their day-to-day routine. Motorway cops is a lot, or at least it sounds like it's a lot like a UK version of cops or live PD, which, by the way, during my summer break, I listened to the podcast Headlong Running from the Cops, and I highly recommend it to anyone who watches 
that style of show. It's really well done, super comprehensive, and it makes you think about the whole production style of these shows. So going back, though, to this case, going back to that M6, the camera crew is filming, cameras are rolling, as these officers are en route to make contact with these sisters. And upon their arrival on scene, the twins had no longer stayed in the median area at this point, but had attempted to cross into traffic. They had attempted by running across lanes of traffic into the oncoming vehicles. And Sabina had actually been hit by a vehicle, but was still upright and walking around with no observable serious injuries when police arrived. And if you look at the articles, they say she was grazed by a car. And I'm just like, how do you just get grazed by a car that's going at a high speed? Huh? With law enforcement now unseen, the sisters were on the shoulder of the highway, safely out of the way of oncoming traffic, which was a little bit slower due to police presence and good old rubbernecking, but still moving at a relatively quick speed. Everything I'm describing next was captured by the camera crew of motorway cops. And again, that's where that audio from the top of this episode comes from. It's that footage. So to set the scene, we have a few officers on the shoulder of the highway speaking with the twins. They are seen and observed to be conversational and calm with these officers and even taking the time to smoke. Now, as the police are attempting to establish some sense of order as to what is happening, Ursula makes a sudden dash from the shoulder towards the oncoming traffic. An officer attempts to stop her by grabbing onto her arm. But Ursula breaks free from this hold and wiggles her way out of her jacket. As the officer is left holding this jacket, trying to process what is happening, in the very next second, Ursula is hit full on by an oncoming large truck that has been estimated to have been traveling approximately 60 miles per hour. Or rather, as this is the UK, about 90 kilometers per hour. And in that footage, you heard that screech. And you kind of actually, visually, when you watch it, you can kind of see the impact. You don't really full-on see it. And you see when the camera pans back that Ursula's shoes are scattered on the concrete. But before officers or anyone else has a chance to react, Sabina suddenly sprints into traffic and is subsequently hit by a smaller vehicle. Think a car about the size of a sedan that is also traveling at a high speed. Sabina is thrown onto the roof of this vehicle, into the windshield, before the vehicle is able to come to a sudden halt, with Sabina landing onto the asphalt. So in a matter of moments, the scene went from trying to make sense of two sisters who were acting strange but seemingly cooperative, to potentially having two fatalities on this busy motorway. Law enforcement acted quickly, running towards the women as they radioed for medics to be dispatched to the scene. And as they were working on maintaining scene safety for themselves and their victims, the officers were shocked that both women were still alive. Ursula's legs were crushed and contorted in abnormal positions. You heard it in the audio that it obviously was a compound fracture. Sabina was breathing, but unconscious. And so there was the concern that she had sustained some sort of massive head injury that was looming in the air. And so that air ambulance was radioed to be called in for an assist. 
as more and more medical personnel arrived on scene while Ursula's legs had been broken and she was unable to move them. She was exerting a full range of motion in her arms as she scratched at and fought and clawed at these medical personnel, even spitting on them at times, which I think you also hear in the audio for them to say, stop spitting at us, we're trying to help you. Now around this time, Sabina starts coming around and regains consciousness, and she too started to resist the medics and officers by scratching, clawing, spitting at them as well. And then, like you heard earlier, they make those curious statements. They're going to steal your organs. And, I recognize you. I know you're not real. Now, suspecting that she might have a severe head injury, medics and officers keep attempting to reassure and reorient Sabina that they were there to help her. But then, Sabina, who had been laying down, they had been talking about getting a collar onto her, those neck collars that help to immobilize the spine. Again, when there's a concern for head or spinal injuries, we definitely always like to make sure to immobilize the spine to minimize any chances of further damage. So they were calling for the collar. They were asking for that. Sabina's laying down and then suddenly she leaps to her feet as if she had not just been hit by a vehicle going high speed. And she is continuing to yell and scream that she needs the police. She needs the police to help her as her organs were about to be stolen. And this is all occurring as the police themselves are trying to orient her again, that they are there. They are the police. We are helping you. But Sabina is not processing this and proceeds to punch an officer right in the face. And before anyone else can stop her, she hurdles over the median barriers and darts into oncoming traffic on the other side of the highway. Now, at this point, medics and officers realize that they are not getting through to Sabina and even suspect that one or both of the sisters might be under the influence of some sort of drug. Sabina, in particular, seemed to just pop right up after being hit by a vehicle and then showed an impressive amount of strength and speed in an attempt to dart into traffic again. Not knowing what exactly they might be dealing with, the officers and medics are at a loss as they witness Sabina shrugging off her coat and taking on a stance as if she was prepared to fight the officers and medics. Kind of like that caged animal backed into a corner, fight or flight. Now they realize immediately they need to get a hold of the situation in order to prevent any other injuries from occurring. But with their staff also attending to Ursula on the other side of the highway, the officers and medics are given a surprising assist by a few motorists who have gotten out of their vehicles and actually help with restraining Sabina. It takes six people to restrain and then carry Sabina to the ambulance where she is then handcuffed and sedated prior to transport to the hospital. Ursula is air evac from the motorway to the hospital for further evaluation and treatment. And that's essentially where the motorway cop's footage ends. But that's not the end of this story by a long shot. The camera crew actually captured more footage, which was not released until after the trial was completed. And that subsequent footage is in the documentary Madness in the Fast Lane, which, again, I cannot recommend enough times that you watch after you listen to this episode especially. It helps you with just better visualizing just how sudden these sisters switched on the officers and medics. And 
It also lets you see just how they behaved that can only be described to a certain extent on a podcast. So we have the one sister, Ursula, who was airlifted and needed emergency surgery performed on her legs. That was successful, but she ended up needing to stay in the hospital for further treatment and management. Put a pin on that one. More on that later. Her sister, Sabina, was medically cleared after a few hours with no injuries. Huh? To her, even though she had been thrown through the air like she was a stunt woman filming Death Proof 2. Before being taken into custody, her demeanor was more even and controlled, and there were no reports that she acted erratic or strange. But if you'll recall, she was sedated prior to transport to the hospital. And while I couldn't find what specific medication she was given, I'm not surprised that she was more even keeled in the hospital and then in the police station later on. I should also take the time to mention right now that the sisters were both tested and no type of drugs, alcohol, narcotics, any of that popped positive on any of their drug screens. I should also mention that independent of this incident, on the subject of drug testing, specifically in hospitals, I can tell you what happens, at least in the U.S., we are limited towards what we can test. The truth is that the newer synthetic drugs like Spice or K2 or Flocka that can make someone seemingly show superhuman strength, stamina, endurance, sometimes doesn't show up on a drug test that we do in the hospital. I know, though, that this is starting to change as we catch up with these newer substances and being able to identify them. But back in 2008, it definitely wasn't on the scene for things that you can test for. Now, Sabina, having been medically cleared, and I said that she was taken into custody, she actually had been arrested and charged with that punching, that assault on a police officer, and trespassing on the highway. Now, the footage does continue. They captured that, I think, both for motorway cops and then I think just uh, the footage for her being taken into custody, I want to say. And it does show Sabina being processed at the station where she's calm, cooperative, She's joking and even a little bit flirtatious with one of the officers. She's also shown stating, quote, We say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows, maybe two, end quote. And that is going to be one of the eeriest bits of foreshadowing in this whole entire case. Now, while she is being processed and all that footage is captured, Sabina never once asked about her sister. And no one has ever said that she ever inquired about Ursula, even when she spent two days in jail. See, she had pled guilty to her charges and was seen before the judge who did sentence her to one day in jail. But because she had spent one full day and full night in jail, she was credited with time served and released back into the public. So now you might be asking yourself, um... Hang on a second. Did anyone do any sort of mental health evaluation while she was in the hospital or at least like in jail? The short answer is nope. The long answer is much like that beautiful number one single from Avril Lavigne, Complicated. In a few articles, it mentions something somewhat controversial, I suppose, regarding the documentary itself. There is a claim that some footage might have been edited prior to it being turned over to the documentary filmmakers, or at least somewhere it got cut. 
Allegedly, in the original motorway cops footage, officers are heard saying that they want to place the sisters on a 136, which is the equivalent, it sounds like, to a UK version of placing a person on a mental health hold. So that would mean that the sisters both needed to be assessed and evaluated by a mental health professional. Now, it is further disputed if that truly happened because some articles mention that it was three months before Ursula was released. And three months is the amount of time a person who is placed on a mental health hold is evaluated under initially. But maybe you can factor in that it did take three months for her to recover from having her legs busted. Both of her legs were essentially shattered. But I am inclined to believe, due to some other pockets of Reddit, and trust me, you can go down like a really deep dive with this case on Reddit, I am inclined to believe that maybe there was a bit of that mental health assessment going on with Ursula, especially with her being in the hospital, and due to a little bit more of the behind-the-scenes action that goes into play a little bit later on regarding some court things that happen later uh, regarding Sabina. I, I, I think there was at least a mental health evaluation done on Ursula. But let's turn it back over to her sister, to Sabina. And let's say that if the twins actually both were placed on a hold, if there was that 136 that they did put them under, how did Sabina get released from the hospital? And then two days later, from the jail she was released without any sort of mental health assessment taking place or without any sort of record of any type of mental health assessment having occurred. So I can only speak for what happens in the U.S. regarding a mental health hold in an emergent situation. And I'm going to try and do my best to navigate this, but... There's more holes in the mental health system than a slice of Swiss cheese. And I think we're all aware of how lacking resources are throughout this nation. And I can only imagine that it is extended, sorry, that it extends to the UK and, and other nations as well. So if a person is brought into the ER and there needs to be a mental health evaluation done, Actually, I should backtrack. Sometimes officers can place people on an emergency sort of hold. It varies from state to state, the power, I guess, that law enforcement has. But they usually can place a person on some sort of hold so that they need to be brought into the emergency room to be evaluated by a mental health professional. And so this is because that person is exhibiting behavior that makes them a danger to themselves or danger to others. And when a person displays that behavior, there are a few things that happen. We need to medically clear that person, medically stabilize that person, and then we can bring in that mental health assessment and evaluation aspect. So if somebody overdoses and takes a bunch of Tylenol, we need to, in the emergency room, medically evaluate them, figure out whether or not they need to get a reversal agent on board because too much Tylenol in your system can seriously hurt your liver to the point of essentially putting it into failure if you don't address things quickly. And 
There are other things that we also look out for. So if a person, it doesn't have to be Tylenol, but if a person takes a lot of medication, they might end up not being able to breathe for themselves. So we might need to breathe for them. And we need to medically stabilize people before they can be properly assessed by a mental health professional. That is something that I want to say is pretty much across the board. That is something that I would imagine also happens in the UK. So if you think about this incident, you have these two sisters, one of them who needed emergency surgery. So she was theoretically put underneath anesthesia. She had these procedures done. She had the surgery done. She woke up and she was probably given, I hope, pain management with whatever she needed and whatever was ordered for her. And then if there was that mental health assessment to it that was done with her, maybe she was in a little bit clearer state or maybe she was not in as much of a clear state. So they had to wait a little bit with assessing her until she got better, until her pain was more managed, until they can do things a little bit later down the line. So that's why I'm sort of inclined to believe that maybe did take three months for her to physically be medically cleared. And then there might have been a medical, sorry, a mental health evaluation that was done for Ursula. But with Sabina, if we're talking about that mental health hold being put into action, into place by those officers on the scene, on the motorway, If that was something that happened, somebody definitely dropped the ball somewhere because it seems as though she wasn't evaluated by a mental health professional in the hospital. And there also could be something twofold to that. It could be because she was sedated with some medication. And I can tell you, as an ER nurse, You come into chaos a lot of times, but sometimes chaos is literally rolled into you on a gurney and it takes the form of people who are combative. They are high on drugs. They are under the influence of something else. They are under the influence of a mixture of things. They are under the influence and they do have some sort of mental health crisis going on on top of that. And they come in agitated, combative And you need to look out for your safety as a healthcare provider, but as well as the safety of your your patient. And you can't properly do things if a person is trying to kick you in the face, which has happened. You need to have people there who can help you with restraining your patient until you can get some sort of sedative, relaxer, something to help this patient to just chill. And I have given my fair share of Zyprexa, Geodon, my most favorite one, of course, everybody's favorite, maybe a little bit, is a B-52, Benadryl, Haldol, Ativan usually does the trick. But Geodon and Zyprexa are also my homies, love them. Versed, I've used that a few times to help people out. Ketamine, I've used that a few times. The point being is that whatever they gave Sabina for a sedative might have helped her with having that clarity and and being cooperative and in the hospital not necessarily being somebody that they're like oh let's get this mental health evaluation done as well or maybe they did do a mental health evaluation and she did okay she made sense there was no cause for them to have a follow-up and I again I don't know how it works 
too well in the UK, but I know that sometimes people are brought in to the emergency room and they are in a heightened state, emotional state, agitated state. We give them medications. They go to sleep. They wake up. They are medically cleared. Their vitals are good. Their blood work came back okay. We redo it. It's still okay. We bring in a mental health evaluator and they talk with the patient and the patient gets to go home with follow-up to go to an outpatient sort of thing or follow-up to talk to a, a psychiatrist. So it's not improbable or it, it is plausible that maybe somebody did a little bit of a mental health evaluation for Sabina, but if she was sedated, maybe she was a little bit more lucid, a little bit more clear, a little bit better with her mental state. So it's hard to say whether or not somebody really dropped the ball, but I have a suspicion that there were things that were done that were good, and that sedating that patient so they can take her to be medically evaluated was a good move. But as you'll see, it might have kind of stacked the deck against what happened later. And I think this would be a good point to sort of stop part one. I didn't really anticipate this being two parts, but I'm honestly not surprised because the second half of what happens to the Erickson sisters, particularly one sister, it's just, yeah, it, it needs to have its own part. So just to give you guys that summary we are going to stop it with Sabina being in jail and now having just been released, credited with time served. And I will make sure to do part two and not have you have to wait three months for it. But in the meantime, again, thank you all for supporting the podcast, talking about the podcast. Still, I only have a Twitter account. You would think after three months of being away, I would have had more social media, but I don't. So you can find me on Twitter at People Are Wild. You can always email me, peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. Some of you have tagged me in a lot of You Got What Stuck Where stuff and emailed me a few articles that are, well, they're just, they're painful to look at. But a lot of people have survived. So I'm glad that they have that outcome. In fact, I think almost all the articles are anything I've, I've been tagged in or sent, the person that has gotten the thing stuck in them has survived. So that has been awesome. But man, can the body accommodate? I tell you what. On that note, believe in the good, practice random acts of kindness, and remember to be kind to yourself this week.